You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Hi, Shortwavers. Producer Berlin McCoy here sitting in as host. So I recently took a trip to Italy. And yes, the food and the wine were great. But what I really remember most is this ancient feeling from the art and the architecture. It's hard to conceptualize how long this has been here. Now, my travel plans didn't originally include Rome, but then I heard that Emily Kwong was planning on doing an episode on Roman concrete and how scientists had determined what made it so resilient. And I was intrigued. Like, how did they get these blocks on top of each other? I'm standing at the entrance, just beyond the security gates of the Roman Colosseum. The Colosseum is this giant oval amphitheater built almost 2,000 years ago, and I was a little bit awestruck. You can see pictures of this thing, and it just doesn't do it justice. Imagining how, how they did that. I mean, this thing is huge. How did they get up there? I spoke to people who came from all around the world to see the Colosseum. It's amazing. Anshu was seeing the Colosseum for the first time with her husband, Niraj, who had visited once before from India. They told me it was part of a goal they had to see the seven wonders of the world. Meanwhile, Amani and Sora from Japan were amazed at the size and beauty. Uh, the Japan, where we are from, earthquakes and the war, the old, the old buildings were like once broken. And then, so it's kind of unbelievable that how like the old building from the 2000 years ago is still like on site. And even though the south side of this otherwise 150-some-foot building collapsed in a 14th-century earthquake, the majority of the building is still standing. So today on the show, Emily Kwong digs into the science of ancient Roman cement, what it is and why it's lasted so long. I'm Burley McCoy, and you're listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. All right, Emily Kwong, Rome completely blew my mind. Yeah, these structures, you would never know they're that old just by looking at them, especially when you think about modern concrete structures that tend to crumble after a few decades. Right. It's like staggering what the Romans did. And one of the huge reasons why it's withstood the test of time is because the concrete is self-healing. Wait, wait. How can concrete be self-healing? It's not alive. Well, in this case, it has the ability to heal and strengthen itself internally, like a hydra. Hydra, like the Greek snakehead monster that grows the snakes back once they're cut off? I'm telling you, I did not make this up. <laughs> this self-healing property was one of the world's oldest architectural mysteries until this interdisciplinary team came along. My name is Linda Seymour. I am a project consultant with Simpson, Gumperts & Hager here in Boston, Massachusetts. My name is Admir Masic. I'm an uh, associate professor at the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at MIT. Edmir and Linda, along with scientists from MIT, Harvard, and laboratories in Italy and Switzerland, have figured out the mystery. And they published their findings in Science Advances in January. Okay. It went kind of viral. 
And as much as a material science paper can captivate the internet. <laughs> okay, all right, Emily. Which is how I heard about as, it. As a former biomaterial scientist, going viral in any sense, we're going to count this one as a win. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah, the paper's got a really sexy title, okay? <laughs> okay. Hot mixing. Ooh. Colon. Mechanistic <laughs> insights into the durability of ancient Roman concrete. You got to have that colon. Okay, I'm ready to rock. Give me the concrete facts. This is why you're my favorite. Okay, Burley. So concrete, let's just talk about modern concrete. It is a combination of water, cement, and other materials that react together. Like, you should think of concrete as a chemical reaction. Mm -hmm. And some things strengthen the mix and other things weaken it. Okay, so, like, what kind of things weaken it? Well, a lot of modern buildings tend to use concrete that's reinforced with steel. Mm -hmm. And when that steel rusts and corrodes over time, it expands, Mm. pulling on the concrete, and that can force it to crack and pop and spall, setting off this reaction that's bad for the structure. Okay, but the Romans didn't build with steel. I mean, not that I saw, at least. Not at all. But they saw what was structurally possible with concrete and ran with it. Over the centuries, they created a concrete recipe called Opus Commentitium, that could stand the test of time. Is that Latin, Emily? <laughs> wow, you fancy. I think mm. it's because you're a scientist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this recipe was used to make these giant bricks. And in this way, Romans could build anywhere. They could Smart. make stone on site. They were able then to build harbors, build monoliths, you know, in you know Rome and every single city where they went. That's evident. <laughs> Right. You saw a lot of it for your own eyes. Mm -hmm. Now, to figure out what made this concrete self-healing, Admir and his colleagues focused their research on the ancient city of Privernum. They grabbed 2,000-year-old mortar samples from the city wall, and using imaging and mapping techniques developed in Admir's lab, they figured out what was inside. We love a good mapping technique. What did they see? So Roman concrete has three components that are pretty unique. Limestone, volcanic material, and water. You take the limestone rock, which is going to be the white rock. You take the volcanic ash, which is the remnants of volcanic explosions of long ago. You mix it together with water, and that's how you're going to essentially get the baseline Roman mortar or concrete. I mean, it seems so simple. Yeah. For years, architects and historians speculated that it was the volcanic material that made the concrete so strong. And it does, but it doesn't explain the self-healing. What's more, when chemical images of those samples came back to the lab, those big white chunks of lime were really noticeable. They weren't really mixed in. Here's Admir again. Yeah, I could imagine a chocolate or, you know, torrone, uh, you know, these Italian uh, white chocolate-like bars that have the inclusions <laughs> of uh, maybe, I don't know, nuts. Okay, I don't know what those chocolate bars are, but I'm imagining, you know, like chunks of things and another thing. So the lime were the chunks mm-hmm. of things, but like what were they doing in there? That was the question. The team then took on the enormous task of characterizing these lime chunks and figuring out what role they played in the concrete over time. And they figured out two things. Here's Janiel Mirage, who was part of the study. Janiel is now an associate at Exponent, an engineering and scientific consulting firm. The first thing was that we saw that these lime clasts were different in composition at their cores and along the edges, which suggested that maybe they weren't totally inert over time. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that we saw was this material extending from the relics lime clasts into the surrounding cement matrix. And it kind of felt like this 
wow, there's evidence. I love a science mystery. Okay, evidence of what? <laughs> evidence of what? Of self-healing. What? Of lime filling in those cracks, reaching out into the chocolate bar to be like, mm, I'll seal you. Mm, I'll seal you too. <laughs> Linda processed a lot of this data to determine the chemistry of what they were actually seeing. Amazing. And the lime gave up its secret. Mm -hmm. When the Romans were making their mortar, they were heating up their lime to turn it into something called quicklime. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have heard of quicklime. Uh, I might need a refresher. Yeah, it's a chemical sibling to limestone and very reactive. But really? because the Romans were introducing this quicklime to water as they were mixing, the heat it produced set up a chemical foundation that could strengthen the concrete later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here's how. When tiny cracks started to form, the quicklime stopped them from becoming a big crack. <sighs> And that's because when it rained, the lime reacted with the water to recrystallize as various forms of calcium carbonate. Oh, yeah, yeah, quickly yeah. filling the crack or reacting with the volcanic ash to strengthen the material. The calcium carbonate being the major component of limestone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so basically you are saying the lime was waiting to save the Colosseum from <laughs> tiny monster cracks that formed over time? Yeah, it was just doing its chemical job with the help of water. And it was observed back then. Uh, Pliny the Elder wrote in the first century AD that as soon as this material comes into contact with, quote, the waves of the sea and is submerged, it becomes a single stone mass impregnable to the waves and every day stronger. <laughs> but OK, so did the Romans know this? Did they like know this concrete was going to be self-healing? Yeah, they knew the interaction with water made it stronger, but it's hard to say. So to test out this hypothesis, the team went so far as to hotmix their own concrete Smart. using ancient and modern recipes, deliberately cracking the concrete, running water through the cracks. And within two weeks, the concrete which contained quicklime healed. Oh, my gosh. The cracks were sealed and water could no longer flow through. Two weeks. That is amazing. And it makes so much sense, like looking at that 2,000-year-old building that it's still standing. Mm -hmm. So... This seems really useful, like, for people today. Uh, are these scientists going to use this research going forward? Yeah, so Admir and Linda actually do have a patent for self-repairing mortar concrete that is inspired by the Romans, by this research. And while there is self-healing concrete on the market, this is special because we know that Roman concrete has stood the test of time. Right. And that matters for the health of our planet. Modern concrete gives off carbon dioxide when formed. Mm. And for material scientist Anissa Ramirez, the possibility of concrete requiring less repairs because it's self-healing is a welcome discovery. This is one way that the material can be greener. So I find that that's fascinating, that uh, it's sort of like a message in a bottle. Uh, the Romans made the material. We had to kind of figure out how they did it so that we can make better materials and then, you know, in, in turn, uh, be better stewards of, of our environment. Oh, that's really beautiful. It's like a telegraph from the past helping us solve a science mystery to take care of our future. Yeah, exactly. It's a monumental piece of research from scientists who have been studying building materials for a long time. This paper was made possible through a collection of disciplines and ideas and minds. And this approach is what Admir really believes helped solve this mystery. I think that's the uh, space I, I really enjoy to uh, navigate in, uh, where you bring different perspectives and uh, put it on the same table and, and then, uh, you know, make conclusions that probably 
we would never be able to do if we were just focusing, you know, on, on one specific thing from one specific perspective. Yeah, Emily, this really resonates. Before I went into science, I don't think I would have imagined how important it is for scientists from different disciplines to come together uh, mm-hmm. to solve problems. Like we all bring our expertise and he's right. You you don't solve these big problems without having different expertise. And that's why diversity in science is so essential. So I think that's a really beautiful thought. And I really appreciate you bringing us this story, Emily. Burley, hit me up anytime on your next vacation, and I will explain to you how it's architecturally possible. Done. If you have a science question, send us an email at shortwave at npr.org. This episode was produced by Thomas Liu, edited by Rebecca Ramirez, and fact-checked by Anil Oza. The audio engineer for this episode was Valentina Rodriguez. Brendan Crump is our podcast coordinator. Our senior director of programming is Beth Donovan. And the senior vice president of programming is Anya Grundeman. I'm Emily Kwong. I'm Burley McCoy. Thanks for listening to Shortwave from NPR. So